I'm Matt. This is my story. The part I'd like to share started um, January 1st, 2012. Um, I, I woke up that morning and I was laying in bed and I knew that something was wrong. My life wasn't working. I didn't do anything about that desire to get a better life and I, I kept living the way I was and things I was doing. And then in um, the spring of 2013, I was advised that I probably wanted to quit drinking. And um, so when I, I, I finally quit drinking in April of 2013, and, um, and I figured, you know, my life would finally start getting better. Um, but that was April. In May, I got served with divorce papers. In uh, August, I got fired from my 20-year career in September I had to, <clears throat> excuse me, September I had to start a new career. Um, in October we got divorced and then in December dad died. And that was, it was a, it was a brutal, wicked, you know, six to eight month period. And I, I, I woke up every morning scared and anxious and I didn't, I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what to do. I, and it's very difficult after 40-some years of being so selfish, so self-centered, to change that spotlight, to change the way I was thinking. And only through the impactful and sometimes, I hate to use the word violent, but it, it can be brutal when, when Jesus reaches into your life and he says, hey, you can't do that anymore. You've asked for my help. You've got to take it. You know? One of the steps of another friend of mine at suggested <clears throat> I do is just write out what I was feeling and take inventory of everything that you were and then and then take that to God. And so I, I, I remember it was a Saturday afternoon and I went to the library and I had one of those black composition books and I just wrote and wrote and wrote and I wrote some more. And when I was done, I took it outside and I went out to the bench and it at that time, this big thunderstorm was coming over the mountains. And I just sat there and I read this to God. And I said, God, this is the man I've become. And I don't want to be this guy anymore. I had to let go of a lot of the things that I held dear, like my selfishness, my self-centeredness, my fears. In that time, I was able to buy my home, you know, and it was, it was awesome just sitting down and fulfilling a promise to my kids that, you know, we had to move out of the house, but now I'm living in this place and I bought it just like I told you I would. So I thought about it and I prayed about it and, and I filed to have 50-50 custody of my kids. In the spring of 2015, um, we went to court and ended up, I got, I had 50-50 custody of my kids. I have my kids one week on, one week off with their mom. At that instant, when I found out that I, um, that this was the judge's decision, it was a, it was almost an attaboy, a, a pat on the back from God saying, "Hey, I'm proud of you. I know you can do this, and I want to give you the chance. So go get them." So I did. kids and, and they're, they're aggravating their kids and they're teenagers but you know who <laughs> they they're fun you know they laugh and they they they're proud of me you know my, my my youngest son tells me dad you're awesome 
Amen. Amen. Hello, Christ community. It's just fun to hear um, stories and God changing people's stories. So uh, that was awesome. Greetings to all of our campuses. So glad that you are here. Hey, before we jump into the teaching, um, I wanted to share a bit about our more weekend coming up in two weeks, October 14th to 16th. We are super, I am super excited about this. One of our core values as a church is experiencing the spirit. We as a church believe that experiencing the Holy Spirit is normal Christianity. We believe that each of us can experience the Spirit in our lives without being weird. Um, so a couple of years ago, I wrote a book um, entitled More, When a Little Bit of the Spirit is Not Enough. And my purpose in writing that book was to help us as a church wade into a deeper friendship with the Spirit. That's why I long for, for our church, that we would continue to grow in our experience of the Holy Spirit, our, our ability to, to, hear, to experience His love and to hear His voice and to pray for the sick and to be transformed by his power. So with all of that in mind, we thought it would be cool to have a weekend where we focused on experiencing more of the spirit, where we provided various opportunities for us, each of us to grow in that. And so that's what the more weekend in two weeks, that's what it's all about. You were handed a card, I think one per family. When you walked in, if you would take that card out, for just a moment, there are four opportunities. You can see on the card there, there are four opportunities for you to grow in your experience of the Spirit that weekend. So first of all, turn, this, turn, this side, turn to the side with the schedule there. First of all, it's an amazing worship night on Friday with Pastor Daniel and Jory where we will be worshiping God and welcoming His presence. Second, on Saturday morning, October 15th, we will have two workshops. The first, start at 9 o'clock, be taught by Bob Sorge, who is an amazing man of God with a powerful story and an intimacy with God. He's going to be teaching about secrets of the secret place, just cultivating intimacy with the Holy Spirit. That's the first workshop. And then at 1015, I'm going to be teaching a workshop entitled How to Hear the Spirit's Voice. I believe that hearing God's voice is the gateway into a deeper walk with God. So there's no cost for these seminars. You don't need to sign up. Just come. They'll be here in this worship center starting at 9 o'clock on that Saturday morning, the October 15th. Then third, during our regular worship services that weekend, Bob Sorge is going to be speaking on experiencing the Spirit. You will not want to hear this man speak. He is an amazing communicator with an amazing story, so make that a priority. And then finally, on Sunday afternoon, from 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock, we will have several 
prayer teams who will be providing listening prayer for anyone who would like to experience that. So the way this will work is that you can sign up for a 15 minute time slot. And during that time slot, you'll come to the church. Um, during that time slot, one of our teams will just listen to God on your behalf. And then they will share with you anything they feel that they are hearing. It is a powerful experience. If you've not had this done before, it's a powerful experience. And we want as many people to experience that as possible. So you can sign up that weekend. You can sign up right after the services that weekend. So I am super excited about the more weekend coming up. And I urge you, I urge all of you to take advantage of as many of those opportunities as possible to grow in your experience of the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, today we are in week four of a five-part teaching series entitled Community. In this series, we've been talking about the vital importance of us being relationally connected in community. Uh, we, we've seen from the Bible and from scientific research uh, how our relational connectedness is essential for our emotional, spiritual, physiological health. We were created by God for community, for relational connectedness. Now, here at Christ Community, um, our primary vehicle for this kind of life-giving community is our e-groups. E-groups are small groups of people who meet together regularly and are focused on th our three core values as a church. Embracing the gospel, experiencing the spirit, which we just heard about, and then engaging in mission. We want everyone who attends here to be a part of an e-group. Um, and you can find out more information online. Um, or at the information area, the e-group area in the lobby. But I'm so excited about the response of our church during this community series. So many of you are moving towards community by joining an e-group or starting an e-group, which is awesome. But it raises a very important question. Now that we're in a small group environment, how do we grow in our experience of genuine community, in our experience of relational connectedness? I mean, just because some people meet together regularly doesn't automatically result in community. There are certain elements that are essential for community to be experienced. And so last week, we talked about one of these elements, and that is authenticity. Choosing to be real, to not hide behind our false masks and pretending we have our act together. Choosing to open our heart to other people, to others. And so we talked a lot about that last week. And, and, and we also learned that the gospel is actually what enables that to happen. Because Jesus has loved us, he loves us just the way we are. We are free to remove our masks. We are free to be real with each other. Well, today I want to talk about another absolutely critical element of community. And this particular element is found in a very powerful preposition. Yes, I'm talking grammar here, okay? Um, so don't freak out. I won't stay here long. But think back to middle school or high school English, okay? What is a preposition? It's a word like in or under or above or to. A preposition is a word that describes the relationship between two other words. Now, given the fact that prepositions are ultimately about relationships, it is no surprise that there is one preposition in particular that is absolutely essential for our experience of genuine biblical community. This word has actually been on my heart for several months because it significantly changes our perspective on ministry. This word is huge. 
It changes our perspective on ministry. We often think of ministry in terms of words like to or for. We minister to someone. We do something for someone. That's, that's ministry. And that's all good. But there is actually a deeper level of ministry. There is a deeper level of engagement that's found in another preposition. Any guesses what that preposition is? With. With. This little word with is what makes a small group of people become a genuine community. So if you have your Bible or iPad or smartphone, feel free to turn to Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 10. In this very powerful passage, Paul is describing what genuine community looks like, um, what it means to experience withness. Just invented that word, but you know what I mean? Withness in our e-groups, in, in our relational connections. And, and there are three aspects of withness that I want to kind of pull out of this passage. There's a lot in here about community, but I want to, I want to focus on three aspects of withness that are in this passage. And as we do that, here, here, this is really important. I want us to evaluate our experience of community in light of these things. Evaluate our relational connectedness, our experience of community in light of these three things. Are we living these realities in our groups, in our relationships? Okay, so the first aspect of community withness is this standing with. Standing with. Look with me at Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Paul writes, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Now what, what Paul is describing here is the glue of genuine community. It is a decision we make to stand with this person or with this group of people. He says in verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. Now there's something in this translation here that gets missed because it's, it's a little harder to translate. But most of you, most of you here actually know the translation of this word that is kind of missed here. But you actually already know the translation of this word. I'm going to tell you the actual Greek word and you can tell me what it means. Okay. Here's the Greek word, Philadelphia. That is the Greek word, literally. That is the Greek word here. What does that mean? Brotherly love. See, congratulations, you passed your first Greek exam. Way to go. So what, what Paul is describing in verse 10 is not just love in general. He's talking about the love. He uses the word Philadelphia here. He's talking about the love within a family, a brotherly, sisterly love. See, family love is different than other loves. Because we don't choose our brothers and sisters in a family, right? They just appear one day when mom comes home from the hospital and suddenly they get all the attention, which we don't like very much. Unless we're the baby of the family, right? How many babies? I'm, I'm the baby of the family. How many? Okay. Awesome. It's all about us, isn't it? Right? That we, we, we know that. It's all about us. So, so we, you know, I never had to wrestle. Those of you who are babies, we never had to wrestle with that. My brother and sister, though, had to adjust to me. But there's a family bond there. There's a blood bond. It's, it's deeper than just liking each other, right? I mean, whether we like each other or not is kind of irrelevant. <laughs> We're family. In a healthy family, there is this bond that says, I'm standing with you no matter what. I may not even like you very much, but I'm standing with you. I'm committed to this relationship. 
That's what Paul's describing here. And it's such a powerful, such a powerful perspective, such an important part of community. It's something we all long for, right? Don't we, don't we long for this? To, to know that people are standing with us no matter what. We long for that. So this standing with is really about a choice that we make. It's a choice that we make, that we're, we're choosing that we're going to stand with these people no matter what. And that's not always easy. It's not always fun. Sometimes it's hard. I vividly remember this time of year, 2007, when the Rockies had that amazing winning streak, won 13 out of 14 games in September, and then they won the wild card and the National League pennant. It was awesome until the first pitch of the World Series. But, um, but, but during, that, during that whole Rocktober season, if, for those of you who remember that, when they were winning so many games, I remember how after every game, there was, you know, they, in the interviews, the players were talking about their teammates and how awesome their team was and what a great team dynamic they had and how they love these guys and they work together. It was just amazing to be on this team, which was all great. All great. And we'll hear that this fall after every winning team wins or we'll hear the same thing. But a few years later, when the Rockies were struggling, I remember there wasn't much team talk like that. In fact, certain players at that time, certain players were making news because they were publicly complaining about the performance of other players. It was not good. But isn't that the way it often is? I mean, when a team is winning, it's easy to talk about teamwork. It's easy to talk about what great teamwork we had, oh, great teammates, and we worked together so well, blah, 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 blah. What about when they're losing? You ever hear teams talk about that when they're losing? See, that's when the rubber meets the road in terms of real teamwork, in terms of real community. Are we willing to stand with our teammates when we're not winning? Are we willing to stand with them when they're not doing well? See, that's the test of true community. Henry Nowen once wrote that community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. Community is that place where the person you least want to live with always lives. I mean, this is inevitable. In every community experience, we will have as part of that community people we may not, actually we will not, naturally connect with. We will have people who push our buttons, personalities that irritate us and that get under our skin. Within that group experience, there will be hurt feelings, there will be anger, there will be disappointment, there will be withdrawal, there will be conflict. It is inevitable. It's inevitable if, I better put a qualification here, it's inevitable if we want to pursue genuine community. You see, you see that there's actually an alternative. Meet together regularly, but never go deep. That's, that's the alternative to what I'm talking about here. You actually just meet together regularly, never go deep, just keep everything at a superficial, oh yeah, you're doing great, I'm doing great. You know, that level, we talked about levels of communication last week, just keep it at level one, two, or three. Never go to level four. See, we hide behind our masks, desperately long to be known and to be real, but unwilling to go there. And when we choose to not go there, what happens is we end up with this very superficial, it's not even, it's, it's a pseudo community. It's not real community. But when we choose to be real, when we choose to let others in our group be real, we take off our masks, we choose to be real, that's when blessings occur, as we saw last week, but also that's when irritations occur and conflicts happen. And that's okay. That's actually a good thing because it forces us 
it forces us to get to the heart of community. Community is more than just being around people that we like. It's more than just being around people that make us feel good. Community is about a decision to stand with these people even when it's hard. It's about a, a decision to stand with these people, even when it's hard to do, even when their personality grates on us. So how do we do that? Well, Paul answers that in verse 10 when he says, honor one another above yourselves. See, standing with someone is ultimately an issue of honor. We are choosing to honor them, to value them, to listen to them, to care for them, regardless of our personal feelings. Paul says, honor one another above yourselves. See, this isn't about you. This isn't about me. It's about putting this person before our own personal preferences. It's about having a posture of humility towards everyone in your group, even those who get under your skin or get under my skin. Now standing with also involves being willing to deal with conflict. Paul says in verse 16, live in harmony with one another. And then he says in verse 18, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. In other words, we are to do all we can to move towards conflict in a healthy way. That's radical, isn't it? Because none of us like to move towards conflict in a healthy way. We like to avoid, right? To avoid conflict or attack, right? Rather than avoiding or attacking, we are to move towards this person and try to be reconciled. This, this is part of what it means to stand with someone. Even if they're avoiding talking to us. And we don't really want to talk to them either. Paul says we are to choose honor. We are to choose harmony. We are to choose peacemaking for Jesus' sake. That's what brotherly love looks like. That's what it looks like, Philadelphia love. There's a commitment to honor. There's a commitment to work through conflict. It's the commitment of family. It's a commitment where we stand with these people. Even when it's hard, we stand with them. It's a commitment we make. Okay, a second aspect of experiencing um, this witness in community is being with. Being with. Standing with is more about a commitment we make to this person, but being with is a posture of the heart. So we see a great picture of this in verse 15. Would you read this verse out loud with me? Read it out loud with me. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. See, notice the word with in these sentences here. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Paul is talking about the importance of being with people. Being with, not just in relational proximity, being with them in heart, feeling what they're feeling, experiencing it with them, celebrating with them when there's something to celebrate, weeping with them when they're experiencing loss, being with. This is such an important aspect of community, but sometimes we struggle to do this well. In fact, we often instinctively substitute a particular response that at the time seems much more effective than being with. What might that response be? Talking to. 
right? Talking to. We, per, we much prefer talking to over being with. A few weeks ago in our e-group, we were working through the, the questions the, that we provide every week, the study guide, um, questions for that week. And one of the questions asked us to share at a time when we experienced genuine community in a relationship in our lives and what made it so life-giving. And so one person in our group said, yeah, I was, I was talking with someone on the church staff recently, someone on church staff recently. I was talking with them and I shared with them about a struggle that I was going through. And instead of the staff person offering me insights or advice and how to deal with my struggle, he said to me, man, I experienced the same thing. I can totally relate. So this person in our group shared about how life-giving that was, how life-giving that interaction was. And it made me realize how often in our e-groups, our relationships in general, but in our e-groups, how often someone will share a struggle and our, the group, our group's immediate response is to try and fix it, to offer advice. Have you tried this? Have you called so-and-so? Have you read this book? Have you thought about doing this? And that may be helpful information at some point, but when someone shares a heart issue, an emotion, a level four we talked about last week, when someone shares an emotion they're experiencing, we need to resist our tendency to want to try and fix them or to talk to them about their problem. We need to resist that tendency. And instead, we need to learn how to be with them in it to feel with them, to listen to them, to validate them rather than trying to fix them or fix the situation. This is especially true. It's especially true when someone in our community is experiencing grief. Someone, is, someone in our community is experiencing profound loss, the loss of a child, the loss of a spouse, I've had some good friends uh, go through experiences like that, and they have told me that one of the hardest things for them in their grief were the things spoken to them at the funeral reception by people trying to help. People saying things like, oh, I know just how you feel, or well, at least you still have other children, or at least he's in a better place, or God must have needed her for something. I mean, in this situation, we as comforters, we feel this need to have something to say, to, to, to offer something to help alleviate the pain. And, and that, I mean, I'm not down to that desire. That's a worthy desire because we don't want this person to hurt. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. There isn't anything we can say that will take away their pain. And often our attempts to do so don't help at all. Even... This is really um, tricky here, but even if the person says, why did this happen? They're asking a question, why does this happen? The worst thing we can do is try and answer that question because they're not really asking for an answer and there isn't an answer. At that moment, they don't need an answer for that question as if we even had one. Our answers aren't what they really need. What they need is our presence, our tears, our hugs. They just need to know I'm here for you. I'm here with you. If you want to talk, I'll listen. If you just want to sit, I'll sit with you. That's what they need. I mean, isn't it interesting, someone pointed this out and just reminded me, isn't it interesting that dogs are known as man's best friend and they don't say anything? 
They don't say anything. Man's best friend. I was recently given a copy of the book, The Handbook of Companioning the Mourner. Interesting name. The Handbook of Companioning the Mourner. It's really significant. Notice the title. It's not The Handbook to Minister to Someone in Grief. No. (laughs) The Handbook for Companioning Someone in Mourning the mortar. In other words, coming alongside them. And the, the author's first tenet, this is the first principle, and I know it's here because this is like the most important one. Here's the first principle of the book. Companioning is about being present to another person's pain. It is not about taking away the pain. Companioning is about being present to another person's pain. It is not about taking away the pain. This is so important. Our role in community with people who are hurting is not to try and take away their pain. We can't do that. We cannot do that. As Helen Keller said, the only way to the other side is through. They have to go through this journey of pain. We can't remove their pain. We can't speed up the journey. What we can do is be with them in it. To check in with them regularly and let them know we're thinking about them and praying for them. To make ourselves available to them. To weep with them when they weep. To be there. To be there. Years ago, I came across a little book by Joe Bailey who, it's called A View from the Hearse. Um, and it, it's about his, his own experience of grief because he and his wife lost three sons. Three sons, all in separate incidents. And so he and his wife had experienced profound grief. So in his book, The View from a Hearse, he writes this. I was sitting torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly. He said things I knew were true. I was unmoved except to wish he'd go away. Finally, he did. Another came and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour or more, listened when I said something, answered briefly, prayed simply, left. I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. See, we assume, we assume that our most effective ministry happens through talking to someone in the midst of their grief and pain. But that's often not the case. Being with is often far more powerful than talking to. Far more powerful. The other day I was in the driveway taking our trash out and, uh, and a neighbor friend walked over. She's had some really hard things going on in her life and she started to share with me and I realized, oh, I really need Raylene with me. I want Raylene here with me. So I ran in the house and I went and got Raylene and, and we together, we just stood on the driveway and listening to her as she poured out her heart and, and her circumstances and she was crying and Raylene was crying and giving her hugs and I was chiming in with advice, you know, really good advice. Um, and uh, so, so this is all going on in our driveway and I turned around and standing beside us was our son Josh 
son Joshua. Joshua's 15 years old, um, but cognitively he's much younger than that. He has significant special needs. He struggles to communicate verbally, all sorts of struggles he has, but, but he has this huge heart. So he's standing there holding a Kleenex out to her. He had seen her crying and he had run in the house and got a Kleenex. She took it and she smiled and said, thanks, Josh. Gave him a big hug. I am, I am certain that his presence was way more life-giving and powerful to her than any advice that I was offering in that moment. I'm certain of that. What might happen? What might happen in our e-group communities? What might happen in our friendships, in our workplace, in our marriages, if in those moments when someone is sharing their pain, we chose to be with them rather than talk to them? What if we chose to be present with our hearts rather than offering advice from our minds? I have a feeling we would begin to experience a depth of relational connection that we didn't even know existed. We didn't even know it was possible. Now, now, now please hear me. I, I'm not saying there is never a time for advice or for input. I'm not saying that. What I am saying and what I believe the Apostle Paul is saying here is this. When someone is feeling deeply, whether it's joy or sadness, in that moment we have a wonderful opportunity to deepen our relational connection by being with them in that. Feeling with them. Being attentive to their heart in their experience of grief or sadness or anger. And by doing so, we're actually expressing genuine love. We're expressing genuine love. We deepen their and our experience of community in our response. Which leads to one other aspect of this witness of community, and that is the privilege of praying with. Standing with, being with, praying with. Paul says in verse 12, be faithful in prayer. He's describing community, and then he says, be faithful in prayer. See, in prayer, we experience a dynamic of community that we cannot experience alone. I mean, we have this amazing privilege of praying for each other. I mean, think of all the relational dynamics that happen when we're praying for each other in, in community, right? One, the person who needs prayer asks for prayer. So they open up their heart, and hopefully they get to level four, right? We talked about that last week, Ian, but, but they, they open up their heart. It's not just a prayer for a request of a, you know, cousin's nephew who, you know, uh, employer, whatever, you know, so distant that it's, you know, you lose track of that. Okay. It's, it's something they're sharing a prayer because this is what I'm feeling. This is what's going on. So it just, they're being vulnerable. And so there's a cool thing happening there. The relational dynamics there. They're taking off their masks. They're being real. I have a need. They're admitting that. And another dynamic, and so that happens, and another dynamic that happens is when that need is shared, guess what? It's an opportunity for us to feel with this person. Just to feel, to our hearts open to where they're at. Rather than to fix and all that, it's just to feel with them, to experience compassion and empathy towards them. So that's another relational dynamic of work. Again, it's just fueling community. And then the actual praying happens, which is awesome, right? Where we as a group, we focus our prayers and, and with intensity, we pray for this person's need and for their heart. And we're, we're uniting our faith and we're asking God to move on their behalf. I mean, this is so powerful and so important, this dynamic. Sometimes, especially in America, our faith becomes very individualistic. It's just me and God. 
It's all that matters, just me and God. And our prayer life can begin to reflect this. We only pray by ourselves and for ourselves, which is just unhealthy to stay there, to pray by ourselves and for ourselves. I'm not saying that's wrong. It's just, it's not all God has for us. We, we can fall into this individualistic pattern and miss out on a crucial part of this prayer experience, which is the community aspect of it. Perhaps this is why when Jesus was teaching us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, he begins with these words, my father. No, that's not what he said, is it? How did he begin? Our father. Our father. The implication is that a vital part of our prayer life is praying in community. Our Father. We're praying with others. We're praying for others. With others and for them. Without that dynamic in our e-groups, we're missing a crucial element of genuine community. We're just, we're just missing it. Crucial part of experiencing the Spirit in community without this praying with so let me, just, let me just ask, in your community, in your e-group, how fully are you experiencing these three with things, right? Standing with, and being with, and praying with. The study guide questions this week in your group are going to give, you, give your group an opportunity to think about that, and to evaluate that, and, and taking intentional steps to grow in that, because these are important questions for our groups to ask. Okay, now, now, now some of you, some of you here, you're maybe you're in week four of this thing. Way to go, way to hang in there, right? I mean, this is good stuff, but some of you are, I know some of you are sitting there wondering, is this really that big of a deal? I mean, is community that big of a deal? Do I really need that kind of community? Or perhaps some of you men, I'm gonna just focus on men here for a moment. Some of you men, perhaps some of you men are thinking, this is too touchy-feely, you know? All this with talk, my wife can do that kind of thing, but I don't need that kind of, I don't need that stuff. A few weeks ago, I was struck by a realization that kind of rocked my world. And I, I want to just share this. I'd been thinking about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, his experience in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the night before he was going to be crucified, right? He knows what's coming. He knows death is coming. He's deeply troubled. He's overwhelmed with the burden of this. And so he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, right? We all know that. He goes to the Garden to pray. He goes to pour out his heart before his Father. Not my will, but yours. And there's this prayer, this dynamic prayer going on. And many of us are familiar with that story, including me. We're familiar with that. But I've read that passage probably hundreds of times over the years. But I totally missed something until a few weeks ago. So here, here is Jesus, the Son of God, in this moment of deep personal struggle and anguish, feeling overwhelmed and distraught. So what does he do in that moment? He asks three of his closest friends to be with him, to stand with him, to pray with him. He didn't want to be alone. Yes, he had his heavenly father, he had his heavenly father, but he needed more than that. He needed more than that. He needed a few friends to be with him. He didn't want advice. He didn't want input. He just wanted their presence with him, standing with him, feeling with him, praying with him. Does that feel weak to you? Does in your, in your mind, does that make him less of a man or more? 
See, so often we think of manhood. We think that manhood means never admitting weakness, right? Always being strong, living with that rugged individualism. I don't need anyone else. But that's not how Jesus lived. And he, more than anyone, reveals what true manhood looks like. Start there, if you want to know. He, more than anyone, reveals what it means for all of us, not just men here. Now, what he, he reveals what for all of us it means, men and women, to live in the fullness of God's purposes. It means embracing our need to be in a community that is standing with each other and being with each other and praying with each other. We all need that. We all long for a community like that. And each of us, we all can be a part of making that happen in our church community, in our e-groups, as we together commit ourselves to the power of this little preposition, with. So powerful. With. Standing with. Being with. Praying with. Let's, let's pray together. God, thanks for your word. Wow, thank you. Even this little word... <laughs> And yet how powerful it is. And how it really marks genuine ministry and it marks genuine community. This willingness to be in a community where we are standing with these people no matter what. And they're standing with us. And we are willing to be with these people no matter what they're experiencing. And they're willing to be with us no matter what we're experiencing emotionally or whatever we're going through. They can be with us without lecturing and giving advice and all that stuff, which there's always a place for that. But Lord, just this instinctive response just to be with. And then it's this opportunity to pray with, oh, to pray with each other and for each other. So powerful, God. We all want to experience that kind of community. We want to grow in that kind of community. So, so let me just encourage you, just as you're thinking about this message, just encourage each one of us here. How are you contributing? Just ask this question before the Lord. How am I, how are you com contributing to this in the community you're in? In your heart, is there a commitment to stand with these people, even the ones that get under your skin? Is there a willingness to be with these people in the midst of whatever they're going through? Is there a willingness to pray with them and for them? So let's just tell the Lord, just in the quiet of our heart, God, I just tell him that you want to grow in this, in your, your relational on context in your community. You want to grow in these things. It just starts with one person and it multiplies. So just tell the Lord if you want to grow in these things in your, in your experience of community, in your e-group. God, help us 
help us. We don't want to play church. We don't want to play community. We want to we go deep. We want to experience genuine biblical community. And so I pray you would help us, help every e-group, help every, every one of us in our relationships go deeper in this area of witness. That we would experience this in our relationships, in our e-groups more and more. Help us go there so that everyone in our group would feel like there's a group that's standing with them and being with them and praying with them. Just help our groups go there, Lord. Help us go there. That you would take us as a church deeper in our experience of community, genuine community. We ask for that, Lord. It's so important. We ask for you to keep moving us in that direction. For those who are not in any group and you're maybe prompting their heart, I pray for the courage just to take that step and to get on our website and to figure out, to start one or to join one, Lord, just to keep moving us in this direction. And for this week and the study guide questions and the e-groups that are going to be talking about that, I pray you'd help us be honest and help us intentionally grow in this. Mm. Thank you, Lord. And I thank you, God, for the heart of all of this. It's because... You are Emmanuel, God with us. You didn't stay up in heaven and look from a distance. You came to us to stand with us, to be with us, to pray with and for us. God, thank you for that. Jesus, thank you. And I just want to give an invitation here while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, just to give an invitation here. There may be some of you and... And you're sitting there thinking, man, I don't know if God is with me. And the Bible makes it really, really clear. The way this withness happens in terms of God with us, it's a gift we receive. It's not something we work for. So some of you maybe have been told or you believed you just got to be a good person and go to church and, you know, do all these things. If you do these things, hopefully God will be with you. He'll, you know, love you and all that. It doesn't work that way because none of us are perfect. God's holy and we're not. So we don't need a list of things to do. We need a savior. That's why Jesus came. He came to earth. He died on a cross in our place. He died for our sins so that we could experience him as Emmanuel, so that we could experience him with us and in us. And there may be some of you here and you're like, I want Jesus living in me. I want to experience his forgiveness. I want to experience his life changing me from the inside. So if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. Just pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I admit to you, I acknowledge that you are holy and I'm not. Even with all the things I try to do to get close to you, I realize that it falls short of your glory. So even though I couldn't get to you, you came to me. You sent your son Jesus to live a perfect life, to come to us, to come to earth, to die on a cross to pay the penalty. He was a sacrifice for my sin, for our sin. He paid the penalty that I should have paid. Thank you, Jesus. I choose right now to place my trust in you, Jesus. I bring you my fears and my sins and my failures and my doubts and questions. I just bring all of me to you. And I place myself upon you, upon your shoulders. And now I receive your life. I receive your forgiveness. Forgive my sins. I receive you. Come live in me now through the presence of your spirit. Spirit of Jesus, change me from the inside out. Change me from the inside out. 
God, I want to pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Help them grow in their relationship with you. Help them get plugged into community, which is where we grow. We love you, God. Thank you for how awesome you are. We worship you. We welcome you here. We love you. Thanks for the opportunity to respond to your word now in, in worship, where we get to worship with each other in your presence. So why don't we stand as the worship team leads us, whatever campus you're at, well, let's, let's begin standing. If at some point you want to sit down, that's totally cool. But let's begin standing. Jesus, set us free to worship you. We pray. Thank you, Lord.